Amen. Many of you know, uh, uh, before coming to North Shore, I was a part of a church over in North Idaho, and it was a mega church, and I was a part of that for years, and I had all sorts of uh, cool experiences and opportunities being over there, learned a ton, and uh, all sorts of painful experiences as well as a part of life and ministry, it's reality. Um, But one of those opportunities that I had was to meet Francis Chan. And uh, here's a picture of the gentleman. And he spent some time with our church, and he had a special evening with us, with our staff, and with our staff spouses, just evening together, connecting with him. I was surprised how short he was. Uh, uh, Super funny, very deep, uh, just a, a neat man. Well, during that weekend, he had preached to, uh, to our church, and there was probably 10,000 people there over that weekend. So I was one face in the crowd, okay? And as he was preaching, it was fairly normal, open up in prayer, preach. Well, he got to this place in the message where uh, he was being sensitive to the Spirit and what the Spirit was leading him in, that it was uh, dangerous conversations, it was tender, and he did something that I had not seen other preachers do before. He paused, he prayed, and he asked God to help him in the middle of business to help him do exactly what God was calling him to do in that and that we would hear what God was trying to say. And it took me by surprise. I had never seen anybody do that before. And I just saw his faith shine in that moment. And I was amazed by his faith that he, in that moment, he knew he needed more of God and he took the time to pause and draw near to God and to lead us in that. And it took me by surprise. And it impacted me years later, 10 plus years later still. It, it resonates with me. Wow, that was cool. We are continuing on our series of Faces in the Crowd. As we are looking to be impacted by Jesus. As we're, we follow Jesus and are following him around as he has a diverse range of interactions with a diverse group of people throughout a long period of time. And we're wanting to learn from Jesus so that we can be more like Jesus. That is our point. Can I get an amen? That's why we're here. We want to be more like Jesus. And we want to see what did he do? What did he, what did, how did he handle this? What can we learn from him? Today, the story that we're going into is Luke 7, 1, 1 uh, through 10. So if you want to turn there, Luke 7, if you want to go there on your phones, turn there in your Bibles. Um, it is about a, a centurion, Jesus interacting with a Roman centurion. If you're new to the Bible, or maybe you just need a little bit of a reminder, here's a centurion. He is a beast of a man, right? That is one dude you do not want to mess with. There's a lot to a Roman centurion. Uh, He's obviously beastly, right? He's a man of war, and he's an official. He oversees at least 100 soldiers, other men of war. He is a man of power. He is a man of influence. He is a man under authority as he represents this man, 
uh, represents Rome, the most powerful nation and the most powerful ruler at the time, Caesar. And he's wealthy. He is paid well for his sacrifice to his nation and to his emperor. And so Jesus has an interaction with this kind of man. That's where we are, Luke 7. Uh, Let me pray and uh, we'll dive into God's word. Heavenly Father, we love you. And I love that song in that heart that we just sung together. We need you. Teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. May we stand on you, Lord. Our eyes are on you. We look to you. Pray you'd lead us and guide us with what you're wanting to do in this time and this space as we seek to be faithful to what you've called us to, Lord. The people of God gathering together physically as well as online, gathering together to your word, to you, to worship you, to continue to learn from you together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Luke 7, 1, 1 through 10, I'm gonna go ahead and read it and then we'll break down each of the sections. It starts... Chapter 7, talking about chapter 6. Jesus was just preaching, went around talking. So verse 1 says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servants. And servant. And when they had come to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends, saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I don't presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes. Another, come and he comes. And to the servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent that is his friends, returned, they found the servant well. That's the story. That's the face in the crowd we're looking to learn from today. I titled this sermon, man, this is so weird to preach without a mask. I just gotta say, man, is it nice. I'm sorry you have to deal with my face again, but it is so nice. Oh, I feel free. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, anyways, <laughs> back to the message. I titled this sermon, Amazing Faith, How Sweet the Sound. I hear that in Jesus' words. Wow, that was music to my ears to hear such faith. That was amazing. I hope it's evident to you as well. Now, when it comes to the New Testament, when it comes to Jesus, there is a lot of verses about amazement But it's all about Jesus. It's about others being amazed about Jesus. I'm going to give you a small sample, okay? When Jesus was uh, a young man, a young boy, it says this. When Jesus was a boy, his father and mother were amazed, Joseph and Mary, 
were amazed at the things in which were said about him. When he was in his ministry, going about healing, it says, after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed. The disciples, it says this about them, the disciples were amazed and said, what can a man is this that the wind and the waves obey him? And as Jesus was about to die, as he stood before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate was amazed that Jesus stood before him silent as a sheep before the slaughter. But here in Luke 7, Jesus is amazed. As far as I know, this is the only time it says this about Jesus being amazed about somebody else. So if that's the case, it's at least the majority, right? Others are always amazed about Jesus. And then here's this rare circumstance. If that's the case, There's something amazing that we need from this story, that I want in me from this story, from this interaction with this centurion. I want to learn from this experience. We see that it has to do with faith, okay? That's the evident thing. But it starts with need. It's tied with worth, And it's expressed in authority. That's where we're going to go today, need, worth, and authority. Starting with need. Let's go back to those first few verses. One through three. After he had finished Jesus, all his sayings, preaching, Luke 6, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. So you have this centurion, this this strong man, wealthy man, man of influence, man of power. He has the best of the world's resources before him. He surely had the best of doctors being a part of Rome and influence before him. But he heard about Jesus. And he sought Jesus out. And he has this servant in in which it says, whom was highly valued. But don't be confused as your translations might say servant or slave. It was an employee, right? But it wasn't about the dollars and cents. Paul uses the same word, that Greek word for value, when he talks to the Philippian church about Epaphroditus. He says, hold men like Epaphroditus in high value. They are precious. There was endearment when this centurion was talking about this servant. And he sought out Jesus because it mattered. Because he had need. Because he had need. And so here he is seeking out Jesus because there is need. Now, question for you, just speculating, okay? Would he have sought Jesus out if he didn't have this need of his servant? Do you think he would have been seeking Jesus out? It's possible, right? It's possible, right? God has designed. There is a God-shaped hole in the hearts of man, and we long for eternity and answers to the deepest questions of life. What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? What happens after life, right? 
So it's very possible, right? Because that is a part. And he was obviously sensitive to God. He built a synagogue. He funded an entire synagogue being built for the people of God. So there was some sensitivity there and awareness for sure. But would he have? I don't know. He had the world before him as well. You know, and the greater things are, the less needs you have. I don't know, really. But we do know this. He sought Jesus out because he had need. And that is typical, right? That is typical of us. The majority of people come to Christ because there is need, right? And the greater the need, the greater you run to Jesus once you find out he is the answer. And so this man runs and he puts forth great effort in seeking Jesus out. How many of you love being in need? You don't love being short money. You don't love being lonely. You don't love lacking comfort or security. You don't love having questions unanswered, big, important questions. You don't love struggling with sin. No? No. No, we don't. We work hard. We work hard. We spend a lot of resources and a lot of time so that we don't have need, right? So that we are not vulnerable and we don't put ourselves before others, right? That we take care of ourselves. We are taken care of. We do not like need. But there's a reality to need. God uses need. God uses need. God uses need to shape us. God uses need to bring us to him. God uses need in other people's lives to bring them to him. It's important to allow need, God thinks. It is a tool he uses for his work to bring people to him. How many of you came to Christ because you needed him? Hopefully it's every single one of us, right? <laughs> right? I need a savior. I was wrapped up in sin. I was stuck in sin. I was enslaved to sin and I did not have the answers. And then I heard about Jesus. And somebody led me to Jesus. And that's where it started. And guess what? Once I came to Christ, I still have had needs. All sorts of them. And God's in that too. God uses need to shape us. God uses need to get our attention and none of us like it, <laughs> right? None of us like having need. It's not comfortable, but yet God's in it. And we see in this story, God uses it. God's not done using need. Now for us, we often do not like admitting we have needs makes ourselves vulnerable, and then let alone ask for help. But God says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And the reality is, is we all actually have needs. Every single one of us has needs. And sometimes in our lives, we've had some really significant lead, needs and some right now have some real significant needs. 
God actually calls us into that. And he wants us to start coming to him. And he wants us to continue to use that muscle of coming to him and asking him for help. And he promises he will draw near. And it may not be in your timing, and it may not be in your predictable way that you'd like it to come about. But he promises he will meet you there in that and bring about his good work, his good will. And he doesn't want you to do it in isolation. Secretly, comfortably, in control, you and him, over here, hidden from everybody else. <laughs> right? He says, as I was reminded by a fellow brother this morning, in Galatians 6.2, he says, bear one another's burdens, and he says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, you have things in your life, you have needs in your life that are so big you're not meant to carry on your own. I do too, every single one of us, when it comes to trauma, when it comes to sin, when it comes to temptation, when it comes to tough burdens that we cannot handle on our own. God wants us to not keep those secret, hidden from everybody else. We have brothers and sisters on purpose that we are to shoulder and help support one another in carrying things we cannot carry on our own. And as we do that to one another, we so fulfill the law of love. Isn't that one of our tenets, if you will? Radically love one another. That is a part of our renewed vision and mission. We are about that. And we want to continue to grow in that. Amen? And Jesus is calling us in that. And he's not done yet. Right? He wants to continue to do a good work. God transforms us through our pain. And we see that God transformed the centurion through this opportunity called need. Amazing faith. And it started with need. Not uncomfortable for anybody or comfortable for anybody, right? But God was in it. The story continues on in verse 4, and it has to do with worth. It's connected into worth. Follow me here. Verse 4, 5, and 6. And when they came, that's the Jewish elders that he had sent, the elders of the town Capernaum, the centurion sent them to seek out Jesus. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is, he is worthy. Notice what they said. He is worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation and he is one who built our synagogue and Jesus went with them. While he was not far from the house, the centurions, notice what was closer as Jesus got closer, who was really closer? Friends. Love that. Says to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I am are you confused yet? <laughs> what one is it? Not worthy to have you come under my roof. So you have the Jewish elders, and I think accurately reflect appropriately what they believed about themselves. Typical, right? Typical of the Jewish officials. They thought they were worthy, right? They were good enough. They were deserving on their own that they could stand before God because of their own merits and their own efforts. 
And then as Jesus got closer, he found friends. There were others who were with him that were closer to him, and they more accurately communicated the man's own words about himself, and he said about himself, I'm not. I'm not. Now, I hope you know this. I hope you've noticed this, that we have intentionally been preaching more the equality and intrinsic value and dignity of every human being. I hope you've noticed that as we have intentionally inserted that as much as we could appropriately so that we all know our heart reflects God's heart. On this level, we're talking about salvation in just a human being stand before the Lord. And it has to do with, do you think you're deserving? Do you believe you are deserving on your own to stand before God? Or do you believe you're undeserving on your own to stand before God? The Jews had one answer. He had his own about himself. What would you say? What would you say? I think it's really interesting. There's another account of this Luke 7 passage, an eyewitness account in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 8, I'm going to read two verses here. I want you just to listen to these in what Jesus has to say about this story. And especially these two different experiences. Verse 10 Matthew 8 says, When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who had followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Okay, we've all heard all that. That's the same. I tell you, with many come, will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus, in the other account, he goes to heaven and hell. And I think that's important for us to know when it comes to the worthiness or unworthiness. God-given, everybody is deserving of dignity. Having been made in his image and his likeness, that has not changed this conversation. This has to do with sin and one's own righteousness as we stand before God. And God's word has accurately said there is a real, true, eternal destination called hell. You, you can't soften that. Those are Jesus' own words. Satan and demons, that's what it's meant for. And everyone who rejects Jesus Christ and believing in him is default set to go to hell. But God, as Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 so beautifully communicate God's heart and what he would rather have and what he's put all of his energy towards. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, abundant, over 
paycheck to paycheck or poverty level mercy, okay? Rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses because of sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So are you worthy? Are you deserving? This changes the man's approach. He has his need and he looks for Christ and he comes to Christ. As Jesus gets closer, he finds friends. And as Jesus gets closer, he finds what he sees about himself. And you don't see him self-deprecating. You don't see himself saying, I'm dirt, I'm a worm, I'm horrible. No, he appropriately goes, I am not worthy. And as you get closer to me, the more you will see I am not worthy and I am in need. Amen? That's okay. It's okay. It's actually good to be honest and be in need. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We are all in need. It's okay to remember that and to practice that and for us to shoulder one another's burdens in that. And we see him engage with Jesus on that worth level. And we see the man, there is a recognition of this holistic need for God, this God-sized whole that takes place and what matters most is what you do with the son of God that's that out of all things in life that's what matters the most so we see this amazing faith and it starts with need and then it's tied in with worth and then we see it being expressed in authority interestingly enough let's continue on here verse 7 therefore I did not presume, now this is the friends accurately communicating what the man himself said about himself. He says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say one, go and he goes, another come and he comes. So my servant do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found him well. We see how this man starts the conversation about his authority. He identifies himself, his own experience with what Jesus has done before him. And he says, I too am a man who is under authority is how he starts. He recognizes there's something unique about Jesus. He recognizes that there is an authority that Jesus walks in, certainly, and an authority Jesus is under. And he likens that to himself and he says, I too am a man under authority. How many of you are in authority? A position of authority? Very few hands, okay? I'm going to broaden it, okay? So hang with me here. How many of you are a husband? A lot more hands. All right, here we go. Yeah. 
So you are a spiritual leader of your home and you are answerable to God about your marriage, about your wife. How many of you are wives? Eight, a lot more hands. You have the most significant influence in your marriage to your spiritual leader. You are the helpmate of God. And you too will be answerable in that position of helpmate. How many of you are parents or grandparents? You have huge authority and influence in shaping another human being and influencing them for life. Good and bad and all the things, right? Mistakes we make as parents and the goods, right? How many of you are friends of someone? You have influence as you help your friends navigate hard times, complexities, diverse issues, struggling, tension, temptation, trauma, heartache, right? Success, joy. You have influence. How many of you are a Christian? A lot of us. That's good, right? You are a Christ-like one. What if we actually, just go with me here, play with me. What if you didn't say you were a Christian? So you're, hey, you're engaging with somebody at work or on the street or a friend or whatever. Hey, what's your religion? What's your belief? Are you a spiritual person? Uh, I, and you answered and said, I, yeah, I, I'm a Christ-like one. Huh? Yeah, I'm a Christ-like one. You mean a Christian? Yeah, yeah, but I'm a Christ-like one. I am like Christ. My life is like Christ. As a Christian, my life reflects Christ, even imperfectly, because that's a part of the deal too. In grace and mercy and faith, I'm a Christ-like one. You better believe you walk with influence and authority with his name, amen? How many of you have authority? <laughs> right? The first thing that we see this man do, he says, I am under authority. The first thing regarding his authority is not, look how much authority I have because of these things and these people listen to me. He starts with, I am under authority. Good authorities understand they are under authority, first and foremost. Good authorities understand they are under authority. His faith starts with need. It's connected to worth. And then it's expressed and it's played out in how he handles his authority. And it starts with him being under authority. Now, what does under authority mean? It means, one of our favorite words, accountable. You are accountable. For what you do and say, you are answerable. For what you do and say. You will have to give an answer. It's part of the deal. It's a part of having authority as a friend, as a spouse, as a parent, as a manager, supervisor, military personnel, police officer, teacher, pastor, We see him answer in acknowledging he is under authority first. 
And then we see something really cool, which is kind of the point of the story with how Jesus handles his authority. Good authorities use their words to heal. Good authorities use their words to heal. The man, he says, if you will just say it, let it be so. If you will just say it, that'll be good enough for me. What amazing faith. And Jesus, he does. He heals. Good authorities use their words to heal. Now, personally, I've never healed somebody. God's never used me to heal somebody from being paralyzed or being in severe pain. I've heard of some miraculous stories. I haven't personally witnessed it. I believe God does that and can do that. It's amazing. It's not normal, but it's amazing. It's called a miracle, right? But I have brought healing. I have. I have brought healing in others' lives. I have said, I am sorry. That was stupid of me. I'm sorry. And that has brought healing. I have said, I forgive you. Paid in full, done, on the cross. I have brought comfort to someone in a time they needed comfort. I've brought encouragement in a time where someone needed encouragement. I have stood up for others in a time they needed to be stood up for and protected. I have brought healing by my mouth, by my words. How many of you has God used and you've ate humble pie and brought about reconciliation? How many have brought healing? Good authorities bring healing. Good authorities use their words to heal. Is there some healing that needs to take place in your life? Is there some healing God is wanting to use you? He is entrusting you to step out in faith. All of this is in faith. Not in our own power, not in our own might, not in our own abilities, not in our own wisdom, not in our own maturity. All has to do with faith. Dependency on God. Looking to God. God, help me. God, I need you. Is there healing God is wanting to do in you or to use you for right now in some relationships or whatever the circumstances are? You got to love the Roman centurion's response. If you say it, I believe it. He believed the final word of Jesus Christ, right? It's a beautiful story. Amazing faith, how sweet the sound. And it started with need, was tied into worth, and it was expressed in authority. As we finish here, I want to just ask a, a couple questions, and I want us to just take a moment to pray to make sure to be able to give space as we connect with God and allow him to speak, allow him to minister, allow him to lead and guide your thoughts, and then whatever the next steps are as well. We trust him in that too. So number one, I'm not even going to assume because there's so many different pieces of this story. What is God speaking to you? What is resonating with your soul, with your mind, Maybe something's unsettled. 
What is God speaking to you? What is he calling you up to? What is he asking of you? What is he prompting in you? And then for some, I, I don't think this applies uh, for everyone, but I do trust it applies for a few. When you look at the Roman centurion, where in your, your life do you need to be like him with all the questions that you have and the things maybe you're struggling with and wrestling with? Where in your life do you need to be like the Roman centurion and say, God, your word is the final word on that question I've been asking. God, what you have said, I'm going to stop asking you this and then ask them this and come out this way and be unsettled and insecure and, and trying to figure out my own answer. Where in your life do you need to be like the Roman centurion and say, God's word is the final word. I need to accept that in faith. Let's take a moment to pray and just ask the question, God, what are you speaking to me? God, what are you doing to me? God, what do you want to do? God, what are you calling me to?